Hello and welcome to Staff Picks, the movie podcast by movie nerds for movie nerds, where we take movies out there that maybe need a little more love or a little more attention, and we try to bring them to a more mainstream audience. As always, my name is Mario Lanza, and I will be your host. And our uh, movie for today's show is a, uh, I wouldn't say it's necessarily an unknown movie. I've done far more obscure movies than this. This is the uh, 2001 thriller called Joyride. Although it's uh, not necessarily known as Joyride, as we're going to find out in our podcast. In other countries, it actually is known under a different name. And it's a uh, it's one of these movies that a lot of people seem to know, but it, I, I never hear it talked about. And so I decided to bring a fan on of this movie. Uh, his name is Cable Brandon. He's from Australia. And, and this is kind of a uh, first here for Staff Picks. This is our first international podcast where uh, we will attempt to uh, heal the wounds between America and Australia. So... As always, I, or here's my guest. Uh, his name is Cable Brandon. He is a longtime film fan, podcaster, film critic, and uh, welcome to the show, Cable. Uh, thanks for having me. I hope I uh, don't disappoint. I know the uh, lofty expectations the uh, four people before me have set, so hopefully I can add some entertainment and hopefully uh, be a sidekick today. Yeah, one of the reasons for people who are curious why I pick certain people for certain movies, like I have listeners of the show that say, oh, I'd love to talk about this movie, you should talk about this movie. Cable is one, he right off the bat had mentioned Joyride, he heard that I liked it and he wanted to talk about it, and it's and it fascinated me because this movie is so much kind of set in the American Midwest, it's like back roads, truckers, kind of Americana. And I was fascinated to get someone from a whole different culture who's never been to the States before to get his perspective on this movie. And we're going to talk about kind of like his image of America and kind of the image of, that is presented in this movie, aside from the fact that this is just one kick-ass suspense movie. Yeah, it definitely is. It's, uh, I mean, what, what would you classify this movie, movie as? Like, uh, I think when I first saw it, I was kind of getting the horror vibes from it, but I wouldn't classify it as a horror film. Yeah, it's obviously not a straight-out horror movie. I mean, for people who are unaware, this is about... We'll get into the plot in a minute here, but it's a couple of teens that play a prank on a uh, truck driver as they're doing a cross-country road trip, and it backfires horribly to the point that they start getting stalked, and it's really, really suspenseful and creepy. But yeah, it's not a flat-out horror movie. There's almost no blood in it. It's not. There's no one getting hacked up with machetes or anything. I would classify this as a suspense movie more than anything. What, do you, what do you, would you say? Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I have to admit that I re-listened to uh, the director's commentary and he kind of sort of said as much that he wanted there to be more scares or to be scary, but he didn't quite necessarily nail it, but he was very happy with the tension they um, and suspense that they brought to the movie. Yeah, and that that is the one thing. That's the one word you're probably going to hear a lot during this podcast, tension, tense. It's just a very well-executed, tense horror movie, and it's one of those things that I often say that I love horror movies. It's my favorite genre, but there's certain types of horror movies. Again, I don't care about blood and guts. I don't care about jump scares. I care about movies that are tense and that kind of sit with you afterwards. And would you say this is a movie that you kind of think of afterwards? Oh, absolutely. I... I, we'll get into it further as we go in, but uh, there's definitely some themes in this that I feel like, you know, growing up that I can sort of 
uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Like I can sort of get it. I, I understand playing a prank and how it can go wrong. And so it's not too far removed from um, something, you know, knowing those feelings those guys go through in this movie. Um, you know, it's not like I've gone to, you know, uh, like uh, Camp Crystal um, and had someone coming at me with a machete kind of thing. So um, I definitely feel like this um, movie is not far removed from some something we might have gone through. And I'm sure you've got a brother as well and maybe played some pranks as a kid that, you know, something could have gone wrong back in the day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, this is one of those things. Again, it's it's an odd movie because it's a... It's a prank revenge movie, but the the antagonist, kind of the villain in it, is not without sympathy. You actually kind of feel bad for him at a certain point in the movie, which makes it really odd, kind of watching it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the yeah, well, we'll talk about the characters soon, but uh, yeah, I, I agree with you on that too. Now, first off, I had mentioned this right at the top of the podcast. Again, in America, this movie is known as known as Joyride. It came out in two thousand one. What is it known as in, in Australia? So. In the UK, or the United Kingdom and Australia, it was rebadged as Roadkill. Mm-hmm. And I'm not too sure when it came out in the UK. I, I believe – I don't know – And sorry, I don't know what time of the year it came out in 2001 in the States, but we didn't get it till 2002, I think around about August. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was it a big hit in Australia? Yeah. Do you remember it being a big deal? Uh, no. Yeah. I remember seeing the trailer, and I think there was a bit of excitement. I think it was also on the back of Paul Walker starting to get a bit of a profile, and especially after The Fast and the Furious, there was, I would say there's a, at the time, the, there was a bit of a, I guess, Paul Walker had a bit of a following by the female audience, Mm -hmm. so... Definitely from that point of view, people were starting to talk about Paul Walker in Australia. Um, Steve Zahn, I think, was still maybe a little bit of an unknown um, and not someone that people are going to go and buy tickets to see him necessarily. So, But I think it's very hard to make a lot of money in Australia. It doesn't matter what the movie is. I think only the really, really big blockbusters um, make a lot of money. So this is not a big, big movie, so... Okay, um, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things, too. I don't know if it was necessarily a giant hit in the U.S. either. I don't remember it being like a big mega blockbuster. It wasn't a flop. It was just one of these, and I have a friend who loves horror movies who refers to it as a teen horror movie, and it's not really a teen horror movie. It's just kind of a a B-movie suspense thriller that came out and you know made a modest little impact. But yeah, it's not something that was like a giant hit in America either. It's just one of those that I ended up catching on DVD maybe a year later and thinking, oh, that was kind of cool. That was actually pretty well done for what it was. So it's just one of these that, that kind of resonated in the back of my head as being a well-done suspense thriller. I was going to say that, um, especially on the back of you know the success of Scream in the late 90s, there was those sort of, you're right, I don't think it's, again, we don't quite, we're not classify, classifying this as horror, but... It definitely felt falls into that category of the, again those sort of movies with teens to try and get that teen audience into the cinemas. So the title change. This is something I definitely wanted to bring up with you because I yeah I was reading about on the internet movie database and Wikipedia why Joyride's title was changed. Um, so what is the what um the I read that the term Joyride doesn't really mean 
in other countries what it means in the U.S. Like in the U.S., it would mean someone like what steals a car and goes fleeing from the cops, and it's kind of a dangerous thing. And is that a term that you just wouldn't hear in Australia? Is that why they dropped the the title? That's a good question because I read the same thing as you, and I'm still a bit confused as to why it was changed because I have always believed we have the same terminology that you guys have for joyrides. So, you know, being in law enforcement, uh, we deal with kids that steal cars, you know, sometimes younger, you know, the 13, 14, all the kids pile into the car and they're going for a joyride. So I don't know why they changed it. They've tried to say that it it has a different meaning, but as far as I'm aware, uh, (laughs) it's a, a term that was coined, I think, by you guys in America back in the 1920s-ish. So it's been around for a while, and I, I thought Australians slash people from the UK kind of adopted it from there. Uh, so I've got no idea why it was changed, to be honest, because I've, I find it funny because roadkill, to me, doesn't sound great either. Mm-hmm. And I feel like roadkill, again, is a very American sort of term. Like, yeah, we do say roadkill now in Australia, but I don't think we ever really said it until again that roadkill was what popped up in the maybe 60s and 70s in mm-hmm. america and became a term and again i think we've just adopted that from you guys as well whether it's <laughs> through tv and, and and film as well but um i'm not too sure why you change from joyride if you had an issue with it to yeah. something else that's still a very american term anyway I, i'm i'm about as confused as you i don't understand it because as far as i'm aware we have the same terminology for it. Okay, yeah, and I personally think Roadkill is a terrible title for this movie because it doesn't really describe what happened. And I've read some other countries have other titles for this movie. One of them is like Don't Talk to Strangers. One of them is Candy Cane. Candy Cane. Now, Candy Cane would have been a cool title for this movie, but yeah, it's just weird how it's known by different things all over the world. Okay, Yeah. we're kind of rambling here before we get to the movie here. Let's let's summarize this movie. I'm assuming most of the people who have, uh, are listening to this podcast have seen it before, so you kind of get it. Where, But I will give a good uh, overview here of it just in case people haven't, because, again, our, the goal really is to get people to appreciate new movies, and this is one uh, I think people should get into. So anyway, so it's basically the story of a cross-country road trip. It's uh, There's two brothers. One of them is played by Paul Walker. His name is Lewis. One of them is played by Steve Zahn. His name is Fuller. And they're basically doing a cross-country road trip from uh, California, the Bay Area, Berkeley, they're going to stop in Boulder, Colorado to get Lewis's, uh, uh, what's a good word here, uh, proposed girlfriend. <laughs> yes. He's been friend-zoned by a girl named Venna. He's going to pick her up in Colorado, and they're going to drive to New Jersey. So it's from the West Coast to the East Coast. And along the way, they are going to pick up a little uh, gadget called a CB radio, which uh, mm-hmm. for our younger audience, as they even describe in the movie, it's a prehistoric version of the internet. These are little radios they had back in the 70s. They were especially big in the U.S. where you could talk to other truck drivers. Truck drivers would use them to talk to each other when they were lonely on the road or to uh, warn each other that there's a police trap or a speed trap ahead. These were very prominent things in cars in the 70s. And these kids pick one up and they think, oh, this is fun. Let's just mess with some truckers. So they're talking around and they're doing little uh, just a game, just a, using the lingo like, hey, breaker, breaker, there's a smoky up ahead on my tail. Just This is the truck lingo that used to be really big in the 70s. And then we get to the uh, part where it starts to get a little more uh, sinister, I would say, when they decide to play a prank on somebody. 
Well, yeah, so they get into a prank with another or with a truckie called Rusty Nail and long story short, they sort of play around a little bit. Uh, Fuller likes, obviously, a prank. Uh, His brother Lewis is not necessarily wanting to do it, but he sort of pushes and pressures him into doing a girl's voice. So he does a female voice and comes up with the name Candy Cane and they kind of entice this trucker into being interested. Uh, And then we see the boys pull into a motel, uh, the Lone Star, uh, for the night. And all of a sudden, uh, Rusty Nail is looking for Candy Cane. And then the prank goes full tilt uh, when they decide to make a hookup, I guess, and set up another person at the motel, um, including Pink Champagne. Yeah. Yeah, and this is the thing. Again, they they find a lonely truck driver on the road. They decide, oh yeah, we'll just seduce this guy. We'll play with him, and they uh, and they start doing their little female voice. And yeah, this is this is the part of the movie that I really think is interesting, and that really I think guarantees it was going to be on a podcast like Staff Picks. Like yeah, this is this you know a prank goes wrong. They're just messing with the wrong truck driver. But this is where it gets fun, in that the the voice of the truck driver, and this is the one thing that will pop out to you, I think, when you watch this movie is done by an actor named Ted Levine. And Ted Levine, for those of you who don't know him, was more known, he was from the movie Silence of the Lambs, where he played Buffalo Bill, the serial killer who kidnapped women, murdered them, skinned them, and built a suit out of their human skin. One of the creepier uh, characters in movie history. But what's fantastic about this is that this actor, Ted Levine, has the most distinct, deep, evil-sounding voice I've ever heard of anybody in movies. And it's hilarious because if you're going to pick a movie where there's a evil-sounding truck driver over your CB radio, they found the absolute one best person for that. And that's the one thing I really wanted to highlight in this movie, that this is 90 minutes of listening to Ted Levine's voice over a CB radio. I couldn't agree more. They just nailed it with him. Uh, I almost am surprised they didn't pick him first. Yeah. Um, it's a bit like um, Roger Jackson, who did the vo- this voice in Scream. He just nailed that for that movie. And Ted is so good in this. Just amazing. Like, you want a creepy voice. But you want a voice that, at least initially, is not so creepy necessarily, but obviously can ramp it up later on in the movie when it gets more intense. Uh did you know that Eric Roberts actually read for them in regards to the voice? Yeah, that's hilarious. I didn't know that until yeah. I bought the DVD that Ted Levine actually wasn't the person they wrote this role for. They actually had, I think, Eric Roberts, and they had another guy, and Ted Levine, and they they were, like, juggling which voice, which voice do we want on our radio as the creepy CD, as this creepy uh, truck driver. And it's hilarious to me because uh, SNL fans will get this reference, is that Ted Levine has maybe the greatest voice in the history of villains ever. I mean, it's so deep, and it's it almost sounds like it's overdubbed. Like, is she a great big fat person? Like, it's he's got this weird, creepy voice, and it's like they're juggling between him and two other guys. And again, I'll use my SNL reference here. It's like, would you rather be the top scientist in your field, or would you rather get Mad Cow? And that's basically how how I, I view this choice. Would you rather have the greatest guy with the the greatest voice in movie history as your villain? Or would you rather have some other guys? Let's think about this for a while. Yeah. Well, uh, you mentioned the third person. The other person is a very little-known actor called Stephen Schellen. Mm-hmm. And 
for fans, if they want to go back and watch this movie, if the, I don't know if it's all in all editions, but um, there was the outtakes on the DVD with the three versions of them reading or doing their line. Mm-hmm. And Stephen's not too bad. I mean, again, you'd still pick Ted over him, but it wasn't as bad. But Eric Roberts, it's just like, I was really surprised when I heard it. I'm like, that's just not scary or intimidating at all and, and, and not creepy. And I was like, no, I just don't know. Maybe they thought he could do it better. I'm not too sure. Maybe he wasn't reading it right, but Eric Roberts would have been terrible. That would have been terrible and would have actually ruined this movie if it was Eric Roberts. Yeah, why not get Tom Hanks to be the voice? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he could be. He could do Woody. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, Ted Levine, again, I, I can't possibly do him justice. I don't know if Cable can, but I've been trying to practice my Ted Levine impressions no, all week. <laughs> yeah, his voice, like that, his voice is so deep, and it's just crazy. It's a great, great, great big frat person. It's just, it's so creepy to hear him coming over the, the CB. And that's the thing. He's just this lonely truck driver, and these two guys are just effing with him on the, on the CB. And again, like uh, Cable said, they, they set up a date. There's, they have Paul Walker pretend to be a girl. It's like, oh, hi, Rusty Nail. This is Candy Cane. Why don't you come and meet me at the truck stop tonight, and I'll meet you at this hotel, and I'll make you feel good. And they're just playing <laughs> with this poor guy's emotions. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just horrible. They trick him into coming and bringing pink champagne because he's, like, lonely and he wants to meet this girl. And they're going to be in the room next door in the hotel, and they're just going to laugh cause they're, because it's going to be uh, – yeah, yeah. It's so. This is the setup of the movie. It's a prank gone wrong. They're playing with the CB. They mess with the wrong guy. And the 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 part that um I kind of forgot until I watched the movie here is that the prank should have been over. They could have just let him go there and 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 be unfulfilled. And Rusty Nail finds nobody. But what happens is there's this a hole of a customer in the motel who's like super racist. And when he's checking in, he's making racial comments to the uh, desk clerk, and he shoves Steve Zahn out of the way. And so they think, well, we're already sending Rusty Nail here. Let's make this a twofer prank, and we'll send him in to this guy's room, this a-hole's room. So Rusty Nail, this deformed, weird trucker, is going to meet this a-hole who's just a jerk, and we'll be in the next door, we'll be laughing. And so it's all this setup. Of, it's a, basically a double prank. Yeah, and can you believe nearly all that setup that we talk about, or you've talked about as well, is that's the first 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, this movie does and not mess around. Better. It doesn't mess around. It goes well, quick. No, I, and that's what I love about this movie too. And look, other movies do do it, not all successfully. And but a lot of movies constantly give you the exposition, what's happening. But you know what? They set up everything in that first fifteen minutes, even up until the prank and, and getting rusty nail. So they get all the backstory out of the way. You know what's get, well. You know all the the storylines, and, and then they just get straight into it. And that's what I also love about this movie. It's just like bang, 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 bang. 15 yeah. minutes done, we've set everything up, now let's just go with it. Yeah, and the thing that's even, it's it's kind of doubly disturbing about this movie, and I was listening to the director's commentary about this, is that the scene where they're setting up Rusty Nail and they're playing the prank on him is a really funny scene, and it's one of these things, we'll get into kind of the actors here, but Steve Zahn, he's one of these guys, he never became a big star really in Hollywood, but he was one of these guys, he was always a sidekick in a movie, especially around this time period in the 90s and the early 2000s. And he would steal every scene he was in. I remember he's in That Thing You Do. I remember he's one called Happy Texas. And he's like, he was like Jack Black at the time. They were kind of this, this uh, secondary character who was hilarious and would always steal the scene. And it's one of those things that Steve Zahn's really funny when they're setting up Rusty Nail. And, it's, and I remember the director on the commentary talking about it like, 
We want you to be in cahoots with these guys. You like this prank. This is a funny prank. You like what they're doing. You think it's silly and funny. We want you to kind of be responsible for what happens later, just like these kids are. We want you to feel bad when all this goes poorly. So it's a really, it was a very uh, uh, interesting editing choice to make you really rooting for this prank as if you're kind of laughing at this rusty nail guy. Yeah. Okay, so uh, what happens here? So we get to the, uh, this is where the actual prank happens. These two guys, we got Fuller and Lewis sitting in their hotel room in this really no-name motel in the middle of Wyoming, I think. And they hear the whole prank go down next door. They hear Rusty Nail show up at the door. He's like, hello, is Candy Cane here? And they kind of hear it, and they're giggling and laughing. And then they hear, like, the two men arguing. And then there's, like, a flash, like, a loud sound, like metal, like a knife or something. You kind of hear, like, something being unsheathed. And then it's just a thump and then quiet. And it's one of the more disconcerting scenes I could think of in a, in a I would say, recent horror movie. I always think this movie's recent, but it was 17 years old or 17 years yeah. ago. But yeah, is that is that a scene that stands out to you too? That first scene where they the meeting goes on next door, and all of a sudden something goes horribly wrong, and there's just silence. Yeah, I actually had. I wasn't too sure if you were going to ask me my favorite scenes, but it's definitely um, one that I had in my list. Uh, I like the lighting of it. I like the visual of it. I like. I actually love that they've got the painting in the middle of the wall, and I was going to say the painting reminds me of the end of Goonies because of the ship and all that but that's I guess irrelevant but the fact that they're both up against the wall looking at each other just the shot just looks amazing but yeah you're right it's like the fact that you can't 100% hear what's happening next door mm-hmm. you do feel like you're there because that would happen like if you put your your ear to the wall you're not necessarily going to hear everything necessarily um, and I think I, I don't know when you last heard the director's commentary but I think the director even said he wanted to give those characters that feeling like they're almost like in a submarine, like that they can kind of hear stuff, but not really, or that it's very uh, muffled Mm -hmm. and, and have that, yeah, have them sort of separated a bit where they're not seeing rusty nail walk past the door, or at least not the audience anyway. Um, I found that interesting. And I was like, that's why that scene works so well. Yeah, it's really good. And again, you, you never see rusty nail. You never see this truck driver who's been summoned and this is going to be kind of a theme throughout this movie. You never see the villain the entire movie. You just know his voice. And that makes it so disconcerting. And just on a personal level, I am a sucker for any movie that makes these dark, isolated motels creepy. I love movies like that. Like Psycho did that really well. There's a movie from the 70s called Tourist Trap, which I'm going to talk about some one day. There's a movie from the 2000s called Vacancy. I love these isolated. Yeah, I love these isolated, abandoned hotels. And it's funny because this movie has just been fun, lighthearted joyride up until this point, just a road trip. And then all of a sudden, everything goes wrong, and now it's a creepy. You're stuck in a creepy, abandoned hotel scene with a psychopath next door, and it's like the tone shift is fantastic all of a sudden. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Okay, now this is where I uh, wanted to get into why uh, you being Australian and not maybe being familiar. Like, are you familiar with the setting of where this movie is in re- relation to America? Like, this 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 movie set in Wyoming at this point. Again, we left California. We're going east. We're stopping in Wyoming. Are you familiar with Wyoming or anything about like what the culture or what the uh, environment would be like there? No, got no idea. Okay, yeah, that's the one thing I wanted to bring up. That that's that's why I'm always interested in how well this movie plays in other countries because wyoming is like the middle of nowhere if yep. you're driving okay. cross country there's a lot of stuff on the west coast and then you leave the, the california and it's like there's nothing 
for a good couple days. It's really abandoned and isolated. And it's I've done road trips many times. You're in the middle of nowhere around there in Wyoming, especially. Yeah. So like they are really isolated here. That's what kind of I think adds to the tension of this movie, just knowing where they are. Should I have done a bit more research? Is Wyoming obviously the state? Is it a big state? It's or a just the yeah, fact that it's very sparse. It's land in land area. It's a big state, and people there's almost nobody that lives there. It's one of the I don't know if it's the least populated states per land area, but it's like it's if you drive through there, it's just time killing. I mean, there's nothing going on. You'll pass. You'll go four or five hours sometimes without a road, without a rest stop or a restaurant or seeing people like it's really isolated. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're definitely I mean, Australia is very similar to the US in that we're very our continent is quite large. So while they got we've got cities and a lot of people, there's still a lot of you know, vast expanses of nothingness <laughs> in Australia. But um, I'm just trying to think of a stretch of road where, like, there's, yeah, when you potentially go on a road trip, um, yeah, you're going to maybe spend some time where you're not going to see anyone or anything. But most time you'll see other cars pass you or, you, like you said, there'll be a rest stop or at least petrol station mm-hmm. uh, or something like that. But, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, okay, so you've got a whole state that's pretty... Yeah, okay, there you go. Yeah. Um I, I guess I have a, a, a little bit of a familiarity with it, a little bit, because Australia can be sort of like that in parts. But mm. generally speaking, now, if you're going to go from east to west coast, it's. Uh, I guess the Nullarbor Plain we have is when you're going from east to west. But, I mean, still in, in the scheme of things, I don't think too many people are doing that trip yeah. like these kids are. And I will say one time I was in Australia on the, the east coast going up from... Uh, Melbourne up up the north coast up was it the Gold Coast I believe I just remember yes, yes. going some of those stretches of road like a lot of restaurants would close early like at six seven they were closed for the night and so like you drive these big long stretches where there's no people out and no restaurants and no places to stop for four or five hours so it really wasn't that dissimilar I just kind of remember that feeling just driving around knowing you're the only person out on the road at the time yeah okay so we have this prank that has gone horribly wrong these two guys have uh pranked rusty nail into coming and meeting a fictitious girl who doesn't exist he shows up in this customer's in this uh assholes hotel room next door and the next morning you know they're just laughing it off well i guess that didn't go so well but it's not over yet because the next morning we have cops outside the hotel knocking on people's doors trying to figure out what happened last night and this is why another thing why uh, i thought it would be interesting to have cable on the 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 podcast here because you as you mentioned before have spent some time in law enforcement so here we go. Now we get into your neck of the woods here. All of a sudden there's a crime and the cops are investigating what happened last night. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and the way the cops actually speak, I think, uh, who is it? Uh, what's his name? Uh, what's the actor's name? I think it's Michael McCleary. I love him. It's like a really small role, mm-hmm. but I like that he's already uh, due, uh, skeptical of uh, Fuller and Lewis and maybe their relationship to the victim. Uh, and the way he's got the toothpick and all that, it might seem a bit over the top. It might seem very, Ameri- oh, I guess, from our point of view, very American. I don't know, but it's, uh, I, yeah, I just love it. Again, he's, what, you know, for not even five minutes, and um, he sort of makes an impression. And to be totally honest, uh, he kind of comes off a little bit of a jerk as well. Like, But I kind of, again, being in his shoes i would be definitely thinking there's something on going on here that you know why is this uh person that was in the next room why is he 
ended up pretty much close to being murdered um, in the middle of the highway without a jaw. Uh, <laughs> I definitely would be very, very skeptical of these boys. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's kind of an over-the-top role, this policeman. He's kind of like playing with these two kids, and he's like, you know, we found the victim laying in the road. It wasn't comely. Like, it's not a, not in a word you'd normally yeah. hear someone say. But the thing that's interesting about this movie, A, the cop is kind of played almost comedic in a way, and it's one of the really hallmarks of this movie that makes it strong is that you go tense, 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 laughing, tense, 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 laughing. Like, they keep you off balance with what the tone's going to be. But the other thing about this cop that I think is interesting is that he's played somewhat sinister in a way. Like, he kind of knows these guys were involved with this murder last night. And he's kind of, they play him kind of sinister. They kind of show him from an up angle where it's kind of a weird angle. And that's going to be yeah. one of the themes of this movie that everybody these kids meet for the rest of the movie is going to be sinister. It's going to be kind of keep you on your toes because, again, you don't know what Rusty Nail looks like or who he is. So it's going to be a paranoia movie in a sense. And every single person from here on out is going to be a little sinister. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so... Let's go to the second part of the uh, prank here. They uh, they apparently found the the salesman who got ripped apart by Rusty Nail. He was laying in the street. His jaw has been ripped off. And these kids know, uh-oh, we screwed up bad. We did this prank, and this guy's injured now, and we didn't mean for that to happen. And they have to go to the hospital. They see his body. And again, from a uh, from a law enforcement perspective, is this how, how you would have handled this situation? Take the kids uh, in, make them, I, see, I, make them see what they did? Um... I don't think that would happen, no, not necessarily. I think, um, see, just what they've done is, at the end of the day, it's not a crime. They've played a prank, which is really bad, and it's, got, it's had a bad outcome. But at the end of the day, I was actually thinking to myself, what could you actually charge these kids with? Mm -hmm. uh, and there's, again, I'm not too sure. Obviously, different laws, uh, you know, in the States over there, and obviously from state to state, you guys have got different laws as well. But... From what I know here, I don't think you could scare them into, you know, coming forward, giving more information by sh like showing them the victim. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I mean, what what are you charging them with? And I don't know if you're taking them necessarily to the hospital to see to see someone in a hospital bed. But you know, it's a movie. They want to highlight it. They want to freak the kids out. It, it, look, it's one of my favourite shots in the movie too. That whole slow mo walk in, Cezanne's face, just the shock. But also, do you notice how the um, the cop actually still got the toothpick, but he's sort of rubbing his jaw, scratching his jaw? <laughs> well, because Before the guy got his jaw head. ripped off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But at first I'm like, is that intentional or not? Or was just that one of those normal scratches? Or was that actually sort of subconsciously supposed to... I, I'm not too sure if it was intentional or not. But again, I know you like sometimes your, your comedy. Sometimes it's not about the whole gag. It's just the look or the reaction of the character and even that i know i know that's not supposed to be a gag but i i just love the fact that he's they're all serious just scratching his jawline and steve's got that really shocked look on his face yeah. in the slow-mo yeah this is a very uh, sobering scene because it's kind of like you actually see the real life ramifications of a prank and this is something that you know maybe young people wouldn't you know realize that pranks have consequences and i just will say when i was a kid i remember there was a, a summer camp by my house where these kids would go out there during the lunch at their summer camp and there was an overpass and they would throw food down onto the cars driving below on the freeway and kids think that's funny oh i'll hit a car with a piece of food and i do remember that at some point something went going through the windshield and killing a guy and it was like this huge thing like kids don't realize that there's ramifications for these pranks and there's, there's a huge one so this is a 
this is a very interesting scene in the movie here where you actually see the ramifications of what have happened. Like you, you guys played a prank. It was funny to you and you killed a guy. And really, this is kind of act one of the movies going to end here. Like, look what you guys just did. That was not funny. And you want to talk about what happens directly after or? Yeah. Now we go into act two. You're talking about uh, Rusty Nail's going to return now? Oh, no, I was going to say the other little cameo that we had from, uh, I think, I believe the character's name is Sheriff Arita, played by, I think it's Jim, where are my notes? Jim Beaver. Mm-hmm. And it's just when he just absolutely tears them to shreds. Yeah. Um, I love that scene. I, I think it was important to have there. I think, again, listening to the one of the commentaries or one of the documentaries that that was – put in it really last minute like they didn't have a lot of money to film it or the the studio weren't that keen on it but i think it's an important scene to like show how serious what they've done um how it's impacted somebody else and and every, oh, i guess everyone else around them uh and then we go to them being dropped off by the police back at the motel and then fuller doesn't seem to have such a guilty conscience as lewis does which is yeah, he was talking about something about pranking and ordering 10 pizzas and sending them to someone's house, and if someone pulled the shotgun on that delivery driver, is it our fault? And and you sort of think, well, that's pretty stupid logic. But um, I kind of liked that the brothers, the, the younger uh, brother that maybe is a little bit more responsible, has a lot of guilt and, and realises what they did was really wrong, whereas the other brother, the black sheep, as his handle would go, that he's... He just doesn't seem to feel as much guilt or he's like, oh, well, you know, I'll be dead in 100 years. Does it really matter? That's my philosophy kind of thing. And and then, yeah, like I said, then we start move to the next phase of the movie. Yeah, and again, we I guess we haven't really brought up the relationship between these two brothers that Steve Zahn is kind of, the, again, the literally the black sheep of the family. He's dropped out, of, ran away from home, dropped out. He's been arrested many times. He's kind of the screw-up of the family, which is very fitting. When he comes up with his CB handle, he calls himself Black Sheep, which is quite fitting because he really is the black sheep of the family. And then you got Paul Walker, the little mama's boy, who's like the perfect child, going to Berkeley, which... You probably know is one of the top colleges in America. If you get into Berkeley, yep. it's a, that's a big deal. So, and of course, when when Fuller is talking about his little brother, he calls him uh, Mama's boy. That's his handle, which is kind of gives away what he thinks of his brother. So yeah, so these two guys, you got the the goofus and gallant, as you will, the one who's got a good conscience and the one who's kind of a screw up. And they're like, well, that sucked. We just screwed up, and we have to live with this. And again, if this was if this were like a Twilight Zone or something. Or like a TV movie of the week, that's maybe where this would have ended. Because like the story is really over at this point. We played this prank, we learned a lesson, we got to get killed, this was terrible. But now is where it really kind of jumps into a horror movie. <laughs> so that night, they're driving away from the motel, and they're just sitting there, and they're, they're not playing around with the CB anymore, they're not doing any pranks. But now, it seems like Rusty Nail is back, and you hear him, and this is where, again, Ted Levine's voice is so amazing just cutting through the darkness. They're driving through the road, driving through the night in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming on a, on a freeway just surrounded by trucks. And they hear Rusty Nail's voice piping in saying, Candy Cane, Candy Cane. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. It's a good impression. Very good impression. <laughs> yeah. So he starts calling them out. He's like, I'm looking for Candy Cane or Mama's Boy or Baba Black Sheep. And it's just, again, that voice cutting through the night and, and it's funny, they superimpose it over the uh, CB radio. You can kind of see they have a little audio bar on the CB showing how loud the signal is. And as the signal gets louder and louder, it goes from green to red, and it really matches Rusty Nail's anger. You can kind of hear it in his voice, Candy Cane. 
and it's just it's so well done and like these two brothers look at each other like oh my god the psychopath is still out there looking for us he knows what we did last night and so yeah this is where we uh this is where we get into a really tense scene this is there's like five i would say really intense tense scenes in the movie is this one that stands out to you as well yes absolutely i definitely have that in my favorites list as well i think i think i don't know if you're about to say it but the the reveal of obviously the conversation um fuller actually getting on and and again this is where he, he does his douchebag move where he absolutely obliterates uh or what he thinks of uh rusty nail and makes things probably worse mm-hmm. by not apologizing the whole uh the reveal of oh, you you need to get that fixed it's like fix what is like the broken tail light yeah and then it was like wow <laughs> that is a wonderful horror movie moment right there the reveal and again you you kind of see it coming a little bit but just the way it's played out in the scene where yeah they go through this whole conversation where fuller picks up the cds like dude what's your deal you psychopath you killed that guy last night and and then they they just uh get into like they're bickering over what happened last night, who was responsible, and Fuller basically says, look, we're dudes, like, we had nothing to do with this, there's no candy cane, like, we're not interested in you, we're not interested in your pink champagne, and, and Rusty Nail, again, you never see him, you just hear his voice through the darkness and the night, saying, uh, what's he saying, I need to find candy cane, and Fuller's like, no, you need a psychologist, you sick freak, you need a good lawyer, <laughs> and so then they say, it was just a joke, man, we were just messing with you, and you just hear... Rusty Nail going, apologize. And they're like, no, we're not going to apologize. And this is where, yeah, like the moment the cable just said where, well, if you're not going to apologize, then you might want to get that fixed. And they're like, what? And he's like, that broken tail light. Literally, where Rusty Nail's been behind them this entire time, just stalking them. And I've, I've actually heard people say this is a, uh, like a, a movie flaw or a goof here, that it's like a, it's, it's not realistic, that there's no way he could have followed them or known who they were, but... Would you agree with that? That they they that he couldn't have followed them. That or... he would. How would he know who they are? <sighs> yeah, well, I, he'd have to be. But he would have. Uh, it's not impossible. Like you think about it, that motel didn't look that full, and there's only a couple of cars in that car park yeah. at the motel. That's assuming he's he's clicked on that. Oh, you know, switched on there. Uh, and have you ever have have... you ever seen a CB radio before? Literally, like yes. a one person. Okay. I actually, yeah, I actually have. That's another reason maybe why I like this movie. Yeah, and that's the um, one thing. That's what I wanted to bring up that that people think that it's unrealistic that that Rusty Nail would know who they are. No, it's not. There was only one other car in that parking lot, and it happened to have a giant CB antenna on the back of the car. And that's the one thing I wanted to point out. If you've seen yes. a CB radio, they had these massive antennas. And so it wouldn't have not have been hard for Rusty Nail to put two and two together and realize, oh, it was probably these guys. And he probably sat outside that motel all night and waited for them to leave. Yeah, I agree. Or, yeah, yeah. Or kept a little bit of a distance, but yeah, absolutely. Just uh, did the old the uh, surveillance trick and just wait, 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 wait. And then, yeah, yeah, follow them down the road. And that's what gets unnerving about this movie. It becomes a hunt movie where they're being hunted by someone and they don't know who it is. And again, this is one of those things, if you've been in America and you've driven on the uh, from the West Coast to the East, you go through the Midwest, it's just trucks. All it is is these long-haul trucks, and your little car is kind of in between them all the time. You're just constantly slaloming around trucks. So, like, it's like they have no idea which truck he's in for the rest of the movie. They just know he's in a truck, and that's what makes it especially unnerving. They're in the middle of nowhere, they have no help, and they don't even know who their enemy is. Yeah, I agree. That, uh, yeah, absolutely. That's part of 
part of the trick of why this works. Um, not knowing who's after you, really, at the end of the day. Okay, so now we get this is the, our we've had a tense scene already, and we're about to go into an even more tense scene where Rusty nails right behind them, and they don't know what to do. Like they're kind of trapped, and they're they're realizing right now they're kind of running out of gas. And again, if you're in Wyoming or rural Kansas, Nebraska, those areas, you grab gas when you can because if you don't, you're going to be screwed. You're going to get stuck somewhere. So they have to immediately pull off the freeway to this no-name, this little middle-of-the-road, middle-of-nowhere gas station and stop. And this is where the cat-and-mouse game really gets fun. This is an even more tense scene right after the one that we just started. Yeah, I love this scene as well. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm going to say I love a lot of these scenes, but the the dread and the, the paranoia and the tension in this scene is so good from both the, both the actors to sort of convey that sort of... I guess dread or that just that feeling of, you know, are we getting over we about to get caught? Yeah. Uh, so obviously uh, Fuller makes a okay. I'll fill up. You go in and pay, and then Lewis sees the phone. I'll oh, well, ring the police, and and then obviously uh, a the ice truck comes in. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. I mean, look. Can I just quickly ask? Did you when you first saw this? Did you think this might have been Rusty Nail and maybe? maybe playing a game with them or did you think this is a bit of a red herring i i mean the first time i saw it this scene is so tense i didn't really wager an opinion on it because you're kind of at the mercy of the director at this point where and yeah. i'm just kind of summing it up for people who haven't seen this movie or who have not seen it in a while they're in a gas station one of them's filling up and again this is one of those gas stations literally in the middle of nowhere big dark field and it's a gas station there's nothing else around them so one of them's in there paying for gas, one's outside, and all of a sudden this truck pulls up, and it's a, an ice delivery man, and he's, he comes out of his truck, and he's kind of uh, surly looking, kind of ominous looking, and he's got a big old bat, and he's using yeah, it to... he looks like he could have walked off the set of Sons of Anarchy or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's got this bat, and he's hitting his tires, checking the pressure, and he just kind of has this bat over his shoulder, and he walks in slowly after Fuller and Lewis into the gas station. And really, it's just the three of them, and then this uh, this uh, gas clerk. And it's like, the, like if this dude is rusty nail, and he's got that bat, and he just ripped off somebody's jaw, he's gonna pummel them to death in this gas station like there's nobody's business. So it's like really tense scene where you don't know if it's him or not. Even when he, like you said, he just walk, slightly walks down the aisle inside the. Uh the petrol station and uh there's a couple of just shots of reflections of him in the mirror or in the phone in the like the phone and then there's another shot of him just over paul walker's shoulder and just just yeah there's so many good little little bits and pieces in there as well that they really again build up the tension really well with just the visuals as well yeah and i just circled it in my notes here i wrote man this gas station scene is great i just <laughs> so i have to point that out yeah the whole uh, just the, the direction and everything in this scene, just building up the tension. They're not going to let you off the hook. They are going to build this and build this. So, although I should point out, you may not be aware of this, but in America, it is not, it is not common to walk into a gas station with a full-on baseball bat over your shoulder. That would be frowned upon. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I think that would be, would probably be the same here in Australia as yeah. well. Anything like that would be a bit unusual <laughs> and probably, uh, the, the emergency button might be pressed by the uh, the counter person. So uh, Lewis and Fuller get their gas, and this guy's just staring at them in the gas station. It's just, it's it's horribly tense, and they run out and get in the car. They get their gas and they drive off, and all of a sudden the the ice truck delivery man comes after them. This big shady looking character, and they're just freaking out. They get in their car, they go flying down this dark 
dirt road down in the middle of nowhere and he comes driving after them and he's yelling at them and it's just tense and tense and tense and yeah it's just a rough scene and then at the end they pull up to a fence and he corners them and he like comes up and knocks on their window and they're screaming they're like no don't kill us don't kill us and he's like no you left your credit card in there and it's this <laughs> yeah this is the classic the uh the horror movie trope here the release of tension and then you're going to get the real tension and it, it's again i can't say enough about the scene where the ice truck guy gets back in his truck and drives away and they're like oh phew that was close and now rusty nail comes plowing down the road plows through the ice truck and his Big old semi, and now you know S just got real. Rusty Nails here for good. Yeah. And then, yeah, so then it's quick jump back in the car and just floor it. And then, again, one of the, you know, sort of almost cliches now, too, where they sort of kind of outrun the villain or the person they're trying to get away from. And then there's a mistake made, and they always hit the car, and he has to turn the car sideways, but then stops. And like, oh, well, we've got plenty of time. And then the car won't start, or the car's get stuck on one of the routes and um yeah obviously rusty now catches it up although there is something i just have to point out that we haven't really talked about paul walker the other actor there was the two main actors in this paul walker and uh and steve zahn and walker obviously was the big star he was in the fast and the furious he'd done some other stuff he became much more famous later and i will say this scene is kind of tough to watch watching paul walker go crashing into a tree when just on a somber note, well, that's exactly what happened to him in real life. He died in a car crash. So it's like kind of tough watching this scene with Walker barreling into a tree. But yeah, it gets it gets really tense here where Rusty Nail pulls up with his truck and he starts slowly crushing their car against a truck. And meanwhile, he's taunting them over the CB radio about candy cane, candy cane. They're like, no, man, it was just a joke. We were just kidding. And it's just it's just horrible. And then all of a sudden at the last minute, I think what happens, they apologize. Fuller finally, yeah, finally they, apologizes they, for they the prank. Of, they sort of apologize, but they say it's just a joke, and then he's like, oh, well, this is just a joke as well. Yeah, yeah. And then just starts reversing back. <laughs> I wrote down the whole exchange here. Fuller's like, we apologize, oh, yeah. man, we apologize. And Rusty Nail's like, why? It was just for a laugh, man, it was just for a laugh. For a laugh? It was just for fun. And then, yeah, you get Ted Levine. <laughs> well, I was just playing with you, man. <laughs> and then he pulls off and slowly backs away, and that's it, so... Again, the slate should be clean at this point. Rusty Nail has given them a taste of their own medicine. They tasted fear. He came within about five feet of crushing them to death and killing them. And again, it looks like, all right, so fine, we're even. The slate's clean. We apologize. He left. It's all good. And again, this is the first half of the movie, and it ends right here. And it's like, okay, so in theory, the movie should be over here. And that that would be a 45-minute movie. <laughs> yeah. All right, so now we're going to introduce the one character in the movie that I... I've never really thought is that necessary. I'm curious what your thoughts on this was. This is where we get uh, Lily Sobieski shows up as the uh, the third member of their gang. This is the her name is Vena, and she shows up and she will be involved in the movie the rest of the way, and it's going to change things. What what did you think of Vena and Lily Sobieski in this movie? Yeah, I was a bit confused about her whole role and and how really important it was. I I feel bad for her in that the original cut of the film, or or again the original script had her being more important mm -hmm. in the in the film. So over, I guess, rewrites and or um, when they went back and did some reshoots, obviously her role got a lot smaller or, or as, uh, like I said, sort of there's a lack of importance to her character. Um, I guess the only thing being, she was almost like the bait that um, Rust and Ale was sort of going for, like, well, hang on, I wanted a candy cane, you've got your candy cane. Yeah kind of thing, well, I'll, you, you took candy cane away from me, I'll take your candy cane away as well, sort of thing, so 
But apart from that, yeah, it's a bit like she's really just window dressing in a lot of ways. Yeah. I would say up to this point, this is an almost perfect 45-minute suspense movie. I can think of a few yeah. movies that are as tense, as well-edited, as tight as the first 45 minutes of Joyride. So now we get... You know, I was just going to say, like, I was listening to uh, your uh, podcast on The Bachelor Party yeah, last week, and you guys sort of touched on the first half being really strong, and you probably like the first half more. And I, I have to say, like, I, I do love this movie as a whole, but I really love how good that first 45 minutes is and, and what you just said, like, just every beat is just so perfect and, and like you said, the editing's so tight and the tension. You, you could have almost ended it after 45 minutes and gone, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. So, it, 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 I never had looked at it that way before until I heard that podcast where, again, you were talking about the bachelor party and talking about the two halves and I was like, wow, that's, yeah, the such a strong first half of the movie. And again, it's not like the second half of Joyride is bad. I will say the ending of this movie is especially strong as well. It's just we're going to go through a, yeah. about 15, 20 minutes here of just uh, character exposition where we meet Venna and we have to get her involved in the dynamic and stuff. And I understand why we need to introduce Venna because, like you said, she will become the bait that, that Rusty Nail wants now because now he wants his own version of Candy Cane. But I don't think she's an especially good character in this movie. I... I hate to say this, I've never really thought Lily Sobieski was an especially good actress. So it's like, it's one of these things, she was a big deal at the time, I remember in the late 90s. It was one of those things, she looked exactly like Helen Hunt, and Helen Hunt was a big deal, she was winning an Oscar for As Good As It Gets. And I remember it was this big deal, hey, there's this teen actress who looks just like Helen Hunt, and she talks like her, and I remember she was in a lot of stuff. And so she shows up in this movie, and I remember every time I watched this, with my uh, wife, she always says, she goes, I don't like the way Lily Sobieski talks, it always bothers me, her accent. So anyway, yeah, so Venna shows up, and I, I will point out Venna, of course, a very popular American name. I know hundreds of people named Venna. It, uh, it, <laughs> <laughs> it means ven- it's short for venison. It means she's made of deer meat. Right. No, okay. I've, I've actually never met a Venna. I've never heard of that name before. <laughs> well, I was, I was actually going to ask something similar if, if you were going to mention it, because I'd never heard that name before either, and I was like, I've never heard it, and, you know, one of our other big loves, Survivor, I've never heard Venna ever play Survivor, and <laughs> yeah, you know it's it's just I don't know it's just a name I never heard before. I'm not I'm not I don't hate it or anything like that. It's just I always find it interesting when when you watch a movie, just the different character names they come up with, and yeah, it's not the one that I've ever heard of, and I don't even know where it originates from. <laughs> yeah, this is where we get the hundreds of listeners named Venna that all write in and being very upset with me. Because <laughs> yeah. I've literally never heard that name before. I don't know where it came from. But again, screenwriter's choice. If you're writing a script, you can make up a name. And if you use a name that's very popular on Mars, apparently that's how you do it sometimes. I've never heard of a Venna. Yeah. Okay, so we hey, picked... Hey, well, they, they nailed, you know, well, Rusty Nail, mm-hmm. uh, Black Sheep, and uh, Candy Cane. So, I mean, okay, one or two names being off isn't too bad, I guess. Okay, so here's the second half of the movie. So we pick up Venna. This is the girl that Paul or uh, uh, Lewis has been pining for, that she's apparently friend-zoned him many years ago. So he's going to pick her up, and this is going to be his big thing. He's going to drive her across country, and this is where they can bond and everything. And she has no idea up to this point that they've gone through hell with Rusty Nail over the past 48 hours. So they pick her up at college, and they meet her, and they meet her friend Charlotte. And they're like, road trip! And so now they're going from... uh, from Boulder, Colorado, to their home in, what was it, New Jersey, I think I said? And that's a, that's a again, if you don't know your, your U.S. geography, that's a long drive. You're going quite a ways there. Yeah. 
Okay, so yeah, we have the scene where they go to a bar and they're uh, they're uh, drinking shots together, and Vena gets hit on by one of the guys in the bar, and Steve Zahn breaks it up by pretending that he's her abusive boyfriend. It's kind of a funny scene, but again, it's just they're just building this environment of ominous people around at all times. Like it's just the three of them against the world. Everyone they meet is going to be somewhat ominous and scary, and it's going to pay off again in a little bit because apparently Rusty Nail has been following them even after backing off. And now he's seen that there's this cute girl with them, and he's like, ah, oh, me once wants some of that. And so now Rusty Nail's about to come back. Yeah. Get <laughs> but, yeah. And again, it's kind of, I mean, you know it's coming because there's still 45 minutes left in the movie. But there's a scene where Ven is in her hotel room, and uh, uh, he's with uh, she's with Lewis, and they're kind of drinking. and or, uh, Fuller, She's with Fuller, and Fuller's trying to uh, flirt with her. And then the phone in their hotel room rings one night. And again, we're still in the middle of nowhere, America. We're in rural Nebraska here. And the phone rings, and Fuller picks it up, and this is where Rusty Nail's back. He's like, I thought you said there was no girl. <laughs> it's like, oh, crap, and the music just gets all tense all of a sudden, like Rusty Nail's back. And, yeah, so so apparently Rusty's been watching them. He knows who they are. He knows their names. And this is another thing people have said might be a plot hole in this movie, that how would he know their names? But that's the thing. I would assume that he must have put some kind of listening device in their car at some point. That's That's the only way I can kind of fathom it. Uh, yeah, that is a good question. I would have to go along with that logic too. Uh, that would probably be the only thing that's kind of a plot hole, I guess. And yeah. I, sh I should point out at this point that, you know, Lewis and Fuller are done with the CB radio. We're never doing the CB radio again. That a while back, after the whole rusty nail thing, they threw it out into the freeway. They're just done. They just attached it, detached it, and threw it out. And so now we get another tense scene again. This <laughs> is, again the third or fourth super tense scene already in this movie where all of a sudden they uh they rusty has no way of contacting them since they're in their car they have no cb radio and now they see these road signs where someone is spray painted on them and they're just you know rest stop signs and the first one says look and then in the and then trunk and then lewis and they're like oh crap and they go skidding to a stop and it's a very tense scene like what's in the trunk what did this psychopath put in our trunk yeah, and it reminds me, I like one of my favorite all-time movies is Goodfellas, and it kind of the lighting and everything of the three people around the back of the trunk and whether they're going to open it or not. It reminds me of that opening scene of Goodfellas where they open the open the trunk and you've kind of got the the brake lights sort of illuminating on their faces and stuff. But um, yeah, it's, I think it's a really cool scene, and then it's just let down by better saying, what, you're scared of a radio? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so again, they open the trunk, and sure enough, in the trunk, there is the old CB radio that they had thrown out into the freeway, and Rusty has helpfully repackaged it and wrapped it up and put it in their trunk so that they can, they, we can all talk again and we can negotiate what's going to happen now that he knows that they have a candy cane with them. Yeah. Okay, so let's see. I'm trying to... We just, we just kind of skipped over... 20 minutes of slow part of the movie, so I, I, we're doing you a favor here. Now we're just getting back to the good stuff here. Yeah, so yep. they, they hook up the CB radio again, and uh, yeah, this is where we get... This is where Ted Levine really goes into overdrive here with his best stuff. He's like, uh, I want to talk to Candy Cane. And they're like, there is no Candy Cane. And he's like, I'm not talking about my Candy Cane. I want to talk to yours. So now that he sees the pretty girl, he wants her. And now, now at this point, Rusty Nail has kind of gone from the the sympathetic victim that's been picked on, and now he's a stalker. Now he's a full-on stalker, and it's going to start getting real evil. Let's see. So we have a... Yeah, so Rusty just basically tells them, do you know how to kill a body and not have it identified? You pull off the fingers, uh, you yeah. rip off the jaw. Yeah, this is... this is, And it's funny on the... This is the part that Cable was talking about on the, uh, on the DVD extras, 
they have this scene where you can hear it from three different voice actors all doing Rusty Nail's speech here. And like you said, Eric Roberts has the wimpiest little voice. It's so terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know how you can keep a guy from being identified? You pull off his fingers. Yeah, it's so bad. Yeah. So anyway, so they're like, why should we do anything you say, Rusty? We don't care who you are. And he's like, well, and then you hear a scream in the background and you hear that Venna's roommate, Charlotte, has been kidnapped. Rusty's got her. And Rusty's like, I'm going to pull her apart unless you do what I say. And so, oh, oh yeah. So here we go. Here are the... That, 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 I was going to say, that's, that, that might fix your plot hole, that he knows their names through Charlotte. Okay. There you go. There you go. See, the police detective right there has figured out the, yeah. loop, the loophole. <laughs> well, it, it, well, if he picks up Charlotte just after she's left and he's sort of torturing her, I'm pretty sure she's going to give up their names just to live. <laughs> yeah, Charlotte will do that. Charlotte's like that sometimes. Okay, so yeah, so this is the, the comic relief. Again, I said that, that it's just tension, then comedy, then tension, then comedy in this movie. And this is where we get one of the funnier scenes where where uh, Rusty Nail says, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to a truck stop, the nearest truck stop in this city, and you're going to be naked, and you're going to walk inside, and you're going to order six cheeseburgers. And they're like, why would we do that? Why? And he's like, you're going to leave Venna in the car all by herself. And they're like, why? And he's like, otherwise I'm going to take Charlotte apart. She's going to get ripped apart. And so we get this very, it's a tense scene, but it's also one of the funnier scenes where Steve Zahn and uh, Paul Walker have to walk naked through a truck stop. And what, what did you think of this scene? Yeah, it was, it was kind of funny. And I, I agree with you. It's sort of, you know, it's still a tense, tense movie, but it just sort of maybe takes a little bit of the edge off. But it makes sense. They want, he wants to embarrass them or make them feel, you know, I guess made a fool of just like he was. But, you know, to go in and sit down and order the cheeseburgers and then have that stereotypical waitress there. <laughs> and then she says, would you like fries with that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the waitress is great in this, her reaction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is, it's a scene that kind of, it's weird. It doesn't fit in with the tone of the rest of the movie, but I like it. And the reason I like it, not so much that it's comic, like I, I appreciate the comic. And anything with Steve Zahn being funny is, is going to be funny because he was just a scene stealer. But there's a second part of the scene that I'd kind of forgotten about that I really appreciated when I was watching it last night where, you know, they're inside the uh, the restaurant naked, being embarrassed, and, you know, Rusty has finally played a prank on them. But there's a nice little scene here where Venna and Rusty have a, a little moment where they're talking on the CB radio where she actually tries to figure out why he's doing this. And then she apologizes. She's like, you know, I feel bad. I had nothing to do with this. I think it's horrible what they did. I'm sure you're a nice guy. And He's like, well, it's a little too late, but now they know how it feels, Venna. They know what it's like to be the punchline, to be the brunt of the joke. And again, it's it's kind of a nice scene, and they try to humanize the Rusty. They try to actually make him less of a monster here. Venna tries to negotiate with him, and it's one of these things. They could have gone either way with the movie, I think, at this point, and they chose to keep Rusty evil, but I think that was kind of giving them an editing choice that maybe Venna can kind of talk him down here. Yeah. Yeah, and it's literally the, the one Venna scene, so good for her. She had a scene in the movie. Yeah, and she even has a tear. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's a good moment. And then, uh, again, I always forgot that nothing really happens in the scene other than they, they get freaked out because Venice starts honking the horn that someone's coming to get her. They run out and get in the car and then uh, blah, blah, blah. And I'll skip forward here some yada, yada-ing. But they, they end up in a cornfield where Rusty Nail starts chasing them and they're driving. And then he has them get out of the car. And basically, long story short, they get separated. 
Venna ends up being kidnapped. Rusty finally grabs her. And again, we have still to this point have not seen Rusty. We have no idea what he looks like. He has abducted Venna. The two of them are stuck in a cornfield. And now we're going to go into Act 3, which is, I would say, a fantastic ending here. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Okay, so you have anything about that section before we skip ahead here? I want to get to the ending here. Um, I'm just looking through my notes. I think we're pretty good. Okay, yeah, so the only connection they have is the guys know that Ven has been abducted, Rusty Nails grabbed her, and he's still taunting them over the CB, and here's some more great Ted Levine where he's like, I thought you should come to the next town, to the motel. He's like, Come to this motel and meet me at room 17 in midnight. And, oh, yeah, bring some pink champagne. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I love that touch and, and having the, the pink champagne bottle in the car ready to go um, before it blows up, pretty much. Okay, yeah, so this is the finale of the movie that basically Rusty Nail is setting up a scenario that is exactly what like what happened to him earlier in the movie when the boys played a prank on him and he went to the wrong hotel room. He's going to play a prank on them, and they're going to go to a hotel room, except what it gets very ominous here where we see a shot of him just, he's got Venna, he ties her to a chair, he binds her with tape, he's got her nailed to the floor, the chair nailed to the floor, and he basically hooks it up where there's a shotgun pointing right at her face, and if anybody opens this door, room 17, which is the exact room he was in at the start of the movie, if anybody opens that door, the shotgun's going to go off, blast Venna right in the face, kill her, and then he's basically going to kill the two of them. And it's, set, it's a very ornate, Scooby-Doo-like trap that he sets up here. And uh, it's going to be yeah. go for a very <laughs> tense finale here. Um, yeah, let's go. get into it. Okay, so here we go. The finale of Joyride. Again, one of the tenser movies I've seen in my life. Okay, so we got the Fuller and Lewis they have to steal a car, hotwire a car, run to this near hotel, this the nearest town, and they get there. And again, these are just little no-tell motels in the middle of nowhere, rural Nebraska. There's not a lot going on here. And there's four motels, and they have to get there before midnight, or he says he's going to kill Venice. So they're running to room 17 at every motel, pounding on the doors, trying to get in and trying to figure out. And again, we keep cutting back to Venna, staring at this shotgun right in her face, knowing that the minute they turn that door handle on her door, it's going to shoot her in the face. So it's just... It gets very tense, and I just write on my notes here. Man, this is tense, tense, tense. I just keep writing this in my notes here. It's just the the music's ramping out. It's just a it's a. Uh, I find this scene to be very tough to sit through. What about you? Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely very intense. I mean, because in your head too, you're trying to like, well, how are they going to get out of this? Like, you kind of know, well, they might. You think they're going to survive, but it's just how are they going to get it done? Um, I was actually going to ask you with. You know, talking about being in these places like Wyoming and Nebraska, where it's it's pretty, you know, uh, very low population, not a lot around. When you see that scene, when there's quite a few motels bunched together, is that realistic or not? Or yet. Is that... it wouldn't be a realistic in a city of that size. In a city of that size, yeah. could probably only support one or two, not four like that. Yeah, because that was the only thing I sort of. Yeah, I'm not trying to pick the movie apart, but I. I remember thinking that too, and then even you know, even you discussing it earlier in this podcast, I sort of think, oh, you know, four is it really? You think they only have the one or two, maybe? But I mean, obviously that's filmed in another location that's a bit more populated. But yeah, anyway. 
Yeah, no. But yeah, I, I actually like what they did there with the whole, oh, oh my God, there's four motels here. We don't know which one it is. Now we have to literally go to room 17 of every motel. <laughs> well, it's funny because just going back to my uh, Ted Levine was Buffalo Bill and Silence of the Lambs, is that it's very similar to the last scene they do in Silence of the Lambs where the FBI opens up the door and you open it up and it's actually Jodie Foster. Like it's, it's a, they misdirect you on which door is actually being kicked open at the time. Yes. So like you see a door being kicked in and you see Venna in shock waiting for the gun blast to the face and it's a different motel and it's a different room. So it's like, it's very well edited, I think. Yeah. Eventually Lewis and Fuller end up in the room right next to Venna, room 17. She's in room 18. They're in the right motel and they get a phone call from right next door. And this is again, just more great Ted Levine voice acting like, you know what I think is a kick, Lewis? Pretending the person I'm talking to is right next door. Which is, again, a bookend to what happened earlier in the movie when they were next door when Rusty got pranked. And so they know. They know Rusty's next door. They know Venna's next door. And all they have to do is go next door and rescue her. And uh, and But they know there's a trap, something like they're scared of this guy. They haven't seen him the whole movie. They just know he's big and scary and he rips people's jaws off. And it's even more ominous because right before that, we see Rusty Nail calling the cops saying, I want to report a couple dead bodies. Like, clearly, these dudes are going to end up dead in a little bit. I just want to make sure you cops know that and can come get them. Yeah. Okay, so here we go. This is yeah, I just this is where I have in my notes. Just tense, tense, so tense, the rest of this movie. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, uh, he sent uh, Lewis sends Fuller around the back of the motel to look into the room next door. Like, what is waiting for us in that room next door when we go in there? And Fuller goes around in the back, and he sees, for some reason, there's a, a shady alley behind the motel, which generally you, <laughs> you wouldn't see. But in this in this environment, sure. So he sees, he can peek into room 18. He sees Venna tied up to the tied up to a chair with a shotgun at her face. And this is where we finally see Rusty Nail, I think, for the first time all movie, where he comes plunging out of the window and grabs Fuller and yanks him inside. So there's a big scuffle. I think, is that the first time we actually ever see Rusty Nail? Uh, I believe so, yes. Okay. And again, we don't, it's, it's funny because it's not Ted Levine, the actor who does the voice playing the character. The voice was actually added later in post-production, but that's a whole different thing. Yeah. Let's see. So Fuller has been pulled through the window and Fuller screams. He's screaming, don't open the door, Lewis. Don't open the door. He sees what's going to happen if Venna, if that doorknob turns and Venna's going to get her face shot off. And so, uh, and then yeah, Fuller ends up getting incapacitated. He gets impaled against the fence and really the one, kind of the only gory scene in the movie, if I would say. Yeah. And then uh, what happens here? So so Rusty just so, kind of leaves, right? Yeah. yeah, there's the big showdown, and then Rusty incapacitates Fuller, and then he just gets in his truck and drives off and leaves Venna to be rescued, right? Yes. Or it, yeah, and his truck's parked behind the motel yeah. in the darkness. And then obviously Lewis runs around to help, uh, help his brother out mm -hmm. and get him off the, uh, I guess, you know, get him off the uh, post. Yeah. Okay, and here we go. In a movie full of tense scenes and unreleased tension, this is maybe the most tense scene in the movie where the cops now show up at the motel because Rusty has called them, and they go to the desk clerk. They see that the front desk clerk has been murdered. Rusty presumably has killed her or killed him. And now they start running around looking to find all these dead bodies, and they start kicking in doors randomly trying to find these bodies. And sure enough, Venna's got this big, wide-eyed terror on her face, like, don't kick open my door, please, please. So it's just doors being kicked in, Lewis trying to rescue Venna, Lewis trying to rescue Fuller, and just a, just, I just can't say enough about the tension in this scene is just cut from cops kicking in doors to Lewis trying to figure out how to get Venna, and then Lewis finally gets in her room, 
and he sees this, the trap set up for her face to get shot off, and he, like, basically pulls her out of her chair, knocks her to the side. Right at the same moment, the cops kick open the door. The shotgun blast goes off, and it's just chaos at that point because, like, there's been a gunshot. The cops don't know who's responsible, and it's just, again, as a police officer, as a former police officer anyway, this, this must be hell for someone like you to have, have to walk into a situation like this. You know there's dead bodies and a gunshot. You have no idea who the bad guy is. Absolutely. Uh, and and being in those shoes, that would be the thing. You see a girl tied up. You see Lewis uh, l- looking like he's holding her and all the chair. So you can p- potentially assume he's uh, one of the offenders, mm-hmm. potentially. Uh, yeah, there's a lot going on, and you're going to have to quickly analyze and or, uh, I guess, seek uh, maybe better guidance from a more senior member. But uh, yeah, definitely you're walking and you've got, you know, a shotgun's gone off and like you said before, a bit of an elaborate setup to, uh, you know, her being nailed to the floor and a shotgun to her head. So there's a lot going on and then obviously um, you've got to make sense of two hysterical people on the floor and uh, and then, you know, seeing the broken window ahead of you um, going out the back. You'd find it probably pretty hard to believe in the moment. Yeah. I mean, I would say in real life, Lewis is probably getting shot here. <laughs> it would be uh, it would be hard well, for him not to with him yeah. making sudden movements, with there being a gunshot, with the cops realizing, hey, that's Helen Hunt. He's kidnapped Helen Hunt. <laughs> yeah, that was actually in, in my last rewatch too. It's funny because um, you watched it last night, and I probably watched it last night too with the commentary. And the one thing I was surprised again, again having that background in sort of law enforcement. In that situation, when he goes and they say, don't move, freeze, and they're saying, don't go, they don't shoot him, which is good. Uh-huh. Um, they're probably in their minds, you know, well, are we justified in shooting him? But to be honest, I'm surprised they don't shoot him in the leg or something like that, because for all, for what you can see of that scene initially, he's an offender and he's someone that needs to be kept at that scene yeah. or at least processed. So um, letting him jump out the back window to save his brother how are they to know his brother's out there kind of thing too. So yeah. I'm kind of surprised that they don't make a better effort at stopping him. But that's just... Yeah, no, I totally agree with yeah. you. I I hear people say there's plot holes in the movie. If you wanted to point out one plot hole, that's the one I think would be it, that, that Lewis does not get shot by six cops simultaneously right here. Yeah, or even if just one of them makes the decision to, again, shoot him and maybe go a little bit lower, not to kill him, but at least stop him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's... Look, again, I, again, I'm not too sure how, I guess we're talking about this movie 17 years old, so uh, maybe things have changed a little bit, especially in your neck of the woods and mine, but I know in that sort of situation, we'd have to be really justified because we shot someone and or killed them. Um, you know, the coroner would be asking a lot of questions and, and for us to be justified in shooting someone, there'd have to be certain things happen, uh, you know, that... Like, he'd almost have to be coming at them with a knife mm. or, 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 or have a gun himself for him to get shot in Australia. Yeah. Or, you know, to be justified in doing that. Uh, but, again, you know, you're talking about, you know, 17 years ago and, and this is might be a guy that's looks like he might have been involved in killing some people. Um, again, I'm, I'd be, I'm shocked that he, in, in the States, he wouldn't have <laughs> at least been shot in the leg or something. So. Yeah. Okay, and there's our big release. Okay, so everything's good. Venna got saved. Lewis and Fuller are fine for the most part. And now you kind of get the last gasp of Rusty Nail. 
that all of a sudden his truck comes barreling down the back of the road towards the motel and they hear him coming and here it comes crashing through the wall and they all just dive out of the way and barely escape death and then uh really this is kind of the end of the movie that you see a there's a dead body behind the wheel and they're like uh they find charlotte in the back of the truck kidnapped and are tied up and crying and it looks like Rusty Nail has been killed. He crashed into the motel. He went, you know, he would smash face first into his uh, steering wheel. And uh, that's it. We never see the body. But again, we've never seen Rusty Nail really in the movie. So it's hard to say. But presumably the cops think, all right, well, this psychopath died. This murder's been solved. We figure out what's happened. And this is where we set the tone for the, what would be the twist ending here, which I've seen some people had a, uh, took offense with. But what do you think of the ending here coming up? Um, I'm happy with it. I'm I didn't hate it as much as some other people have said, but um, I think in this day and age too, if you want to potentially do sequels or just have that the killer comeback sort of scenario, you kind of have to find a way to yeah. have the ending sort of ambiguous enough that it's like, well, was that them or not? Um, I guess it's the way you do it. It just depends how you do it, whether it's believable enough that um, whether people like that ending or not. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. Here's here's what we were talking about that you you know presumably Rusty Nail's been killed, everything's good, and then as they're sitting there in the ambulance waiting to be taken away to the hospital, they hear a dispatcher, someone else on a CB radio saying, uh, "Hey, breaker, breaker," and you hear it, you hear Rusty Nail's voice. So presumably, what has happened is Rusty Nail somehow set the truck on autopilot to come in and crash here into the motel. He threw some other dead, some other dude's body in there that he's killed earlier behind the wheel. He faked his death and he got away and you just hear rusty nail. Basically, this is the, I think people, the thing that people don't remember or didn't notice about this movie. Rusty nail here is repeating the exact same conversation that started earlier in the movie when we first met him, where he's just talking about the weather. He's like, uh, looking forward yep. to the storm washes everything clean and then boom, the credits hit, and you just hear that Rusty Nails got away. He's giving them a little hint. Everything's washed clean. We're all even now. I'm not going to mess with you anymore. And bam, right into the credits. And again, some would say it's a blatant opening into a sequel, leaving it open where Rusty Nail lives. But I actually heard the director's cut where the uh, director said that, no, we never thought of a sequel. We just like the idea of it all being even at the end. Rusty got his way. He yeah. he he taught them a little taste of their own medicine. They felt terror. He got away with it. He's not caught. Everything's clean. So he's like, when I wrote that ending, it was like I, I looked at it. It's like a cathartic for a Rusty Nail. Like we want you to kind of feel happy for him that he got his he got his dignity back. He showed them don't do this to people, yeah. and now he's not going to mess with them. So that's it. So, but I know there's more than one ending for this movie, correct? That is correct. Um, <laughs> what I was going to say when you said about the body that he replaced. Um, I don't know if it's supposed to be the same guy, but I know in one of the other endings, the guy from the ice truck that he smashes through earlier in the film, mm -hmm. he uses that body to set up as or a decoy for himself later in the original ending. Yeah. So I'm assuming potentially that that body that's supposed to be in the truck at the end of the, the I guess, the now theatrical cut of the movie was the ice ice trucker as well yeah it is actually in the theatrical oh, yeah. ending they actually mention that the cops say yeah. oh it was some ice delivery man so it is in, in, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah what's funny is for people who don't know if you go to the dvd if you have the dvd of joyride aka roadkill aka candy cane and you look at the special features 
they have a uh, alternate ending on there. They have a couple, I think, but they have one in special. And yes. it's funny because it's the longest damn alternate ending I've ever seen on a DVD. It's literally like 45 minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It goes basically goes back to the the diner scene where they're naked, and the entire rest of the movie's different. It's it's like it's not even an alternate ending. It's an alternate movie. Yeah. And it's, I'm glad they changed it because it definitely, the movie goes downhill with that other ending. Yeah. Yeah. Basically all the other endings are Rusty Nail ends up dying and you get the happy ending. And, and instead they went with the one where it's ambiguous and Rusty kind of, you know, gets his dignity back at the end and escapes and he, the slate is wiped clean, which again, I like the ending of this movie. I can understand why people say it's cynical because it just opens its way for a sequel. And again, they did make sequels to this movie, none of which I've ever seen or care to. But the director, he makes a good uh, observa- or a good explanation on the DVD. He says, I just wanted to to show that he learned that he got his dignity back and, you know, it's all the slate has been wiped clean. I wanted, I kind of was sympathetic towards the guy. He kind of felt bad for Rusty Nail. Yeah, I like that ending too. I, I don't look at it as a cop-out, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm happy with the ending. I kind of agree with you. I, I like that he sort of had his fun. Yeah, it might not have planned played out the way he wanted but um yeah he got a clean slate he's he hasn't been caught and he just moves on to the next chapter and then it's funny that in the direct in the dvd commentary the director also points out that he likes bookends that this whole movie is about bookends that the whole stuff takes place in room 17 and 18 at the start just like it takes place at the end the conversation that rusty has at this that they have at the end about the weather is the exact conversation that's happening at the start when they first meet him he just says i just like bookends i like the idea of what starts has to have an end and it, it's all even everything ends even even steven as they would say in seinfeld that everything ends up right where it yeah. started so that's that's what i kind of like about this and again it's it's not a big movie it's not a flashy movie it never made a lot of money again these Paul Walker, Steve Zahn, Lily Sobieski, Ted Levine were never, I mean, Paul Walker became a big star later, but they were never like the biggest stars in their genre. But it's one of those movies I just think is really well done, really well edited and paced, and the tension is fantastic. And again, I can't say enough about 90 minutes of having to listen to Buffalo Bill taunt you, which I just think is, the again, he's got the greatest voice. Yeah, I couldn't think of a better person who... uh having that role and what's even funnier is he's uncredited he's not he doesn't show up anywhere in the credits internet movie database anywhere there's no ted levine listed in the credits but anyone who's seen this movie knows oh that's the movie with ted levine as the creepy trucker yeah all right so uh in summary is there anything else you'd like to talk about any other uh observations any other comments any other uh law enforcement techniques that were not used properly in the movie anything you got for me uh <laughs> Uh, no, I can't be too critical. I'm, you know, I'm a world apart from uh, U.S. policing, so <laughs> things might be a little bit more uh, cavalier, I would say, <laughs> probably. Um, I did, maybe it's a movie nerdy me, I actually did a little bit of research actually on the CB radio, to be honest, mm-hmm. that version I had. And, uh, you know, when it comes to movies, if something visually is not 100%, they want to make it more obvious to the audience or have a certain look, they'll tweak things to be a little bit different. I think if anyone knows Back to the Future, the uh, the, the speedometer gauge on a DeLorean didn't go up to 88 miles per hour, only went up to 80. So they had to put in a new dash for, for the movie to show the 88 miles per hour, all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And same thing for this, uh, the Cherokee Night Rider 150 uh, CB radio. You talked about that gauge with the little, the bars going up, the green and the amber and the red. That's actually quite different on the real 
machine, but obviously they changed it ah. to make it look better visually on uh, in the movie. Yeah, that's yeah, good. That's good. Which I thought was pretty. Because I think that's very effective in the movie that you see the cha- colors changing as Rusty gets more upset. I, I always thought that was really effective. Yeah, yeah. It's one again one of those things. I thought, well, why would they need to change it? But I, I did go back and I looked at a couple of little videos and and actually they're actually on eBay, eBay if you want to buy one. But um, the gauge it's still similar, similar colors, but it's just it's sort of just has a different look. But whereas the uh, the, the style they went for in the movie definitely is more effective than what it probably would have shown up, uh, the original showing up on camera. Yeah. Oh, you know, the, uh, a scene we did miss out on a little bit, mm-hmm. and it's only quick, and I know you love your comedy, but I love when they get to the Lone Star Motel um, before he meets uh, the big guy number 17. <laughs> he parks in the handicapped space. Yes. And Lewis like, don't park in a handicapped space. And Fuller's like, there are spaces all over the place. And then Lewis like, yeah, that's my point. And then he goes, dude, I'm going to gimp it anyway. I'm going to run in there. <laughs> yeah. And then he does the whole, like, you know, gimping, running into the uh, office. And I think that's kind of one, again, it's not a movie that's, you know, a whole lot of comedy, but it's just that little scene. And that's so he, that's so his character as well. Yeah, and again, gimp is not used as a verb often enough, I find. <laughs> gimp enough. Yeah, that's, again, just... This just a, it's an expertly done movie just in terms of pacing and then sprinkling in comedy to diffuse the tension. That's the one thing that I yeah. want to get through to people that, again, this isn't your typical slasher movie. I think any, I don't think this movie would be too overwhelming or gory or scary for anybody. It's just a very well done movie. And like I said, I like these movies that sit in your psyche and you don't forget about them. I can guarantee if you're ever in like a, a band, like a, a lonely motel in the middle of nowhere, you hear creepy voices next door. If you're ever driving cross country at night, you hear a creepy voice on the radio or God forbid you have a CB radio and someone starts talking in the middle of the night and they have a weird voice. Like you would think of this movie. And to me, those are the most yeah. effective scary movies. The ones you think about later, like a jump scare in the movie, you forget about that 10 minutes later. But something creepy that happens in the middle of the night, just to kind of a voice just uh, triggers something in your head. That's the kind of stuff that really resonates with me, and I just cannot say enough about this movie, and I'm so glad to you for uh, bringing it to my attention as one to talk about. So I, 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 to my friends in Australia, thank you very much. I'm glad this movie was a hit there, even though it had a different name. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. It's uh, been great to talk about it. Uh, I, my dad had a CB radio actually in his car uh, many years ago, uh, just due to work um he used to deal with truckers all the time so it was obviously a point of contact so i had a familiarity with uh, cb so maybe that's why i sort of gravitated towards this movie as well so yeah yeah and again we have a lot of younger listeners for the show and i'm i just for people who don't know what a cb radio is literally it is like they say in the movie it's prehistoric internet it's how you would just randomly talk to strangers in the middle of nowhere while driving and you could do it back then. It was, they went out of fashion in the 80s, but yeah, it's they were a real thing. And I guess maybe some people still do have them. I think on the DVD commentary, it says that Steve Zahn actually has one in his truck, that this movie inspired him to get yeah. one or something. <laughs> Before we go, one last thing. I do have to say that, that my son, we show a lot of movies to my kids. And my daughter, I show her a lot of horror movies and stuff. She's a big horror movie fan. She liked this one a lot. This was This was a big hit. My son is a much tougher critic it's hard he's 15 years old it's hard for him to uh to sell him on older movies or really movies in general he really doesn't really like most movies but we were watching joyride last night and he kind of walked by and he stopped and he said you know what i kind of like this one 
It's one of these movies he actually liked, and that's the highest badge of honor that I could give that my son Nick Lanza actually kind of liked this movie. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's that's good. That means it must be pretty good. So there you go. So from Cable and me, just uh, I want to say here's a great little B movie. Just if you like suspense, if you like well done little creepy, eerie tension movies, this is a fun one, and I cannot recommend it enough. Would you agree with me? I absolutely 100% two thumbs up agree with you. All right. Um, I've got a couple of friends that are into horror, and they, I've definitely pushed them in that direction. I haven't had any negative feedback from it yet so yeah i don't think i've met one person who hates this movie or who just doesn't doesn't like it like anybody who watches it and just accepts it for what it is always comes out of it thinking that was pretty good <laughs> and on top of that you have the fact that this was a uh written by jj abrams from lost and star trek and star wars and all sorts of stuff and this was one of his first movies a lot of people don't know that that jj abrams actually wrote joyride yeah all right, so I want to thank you for joining me. That was my first international podcast, so I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun, and I'm glad we were able to come together and kind of, again, heal the wounds that have uh, developed between America and Australia over the years. <laughs> no worries. All right. Again, my name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks, and if you'd like to reach me, you can uh, email me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza, or you can reach me. I have a patron account, patron.com slash Mario Lanza. And until the next time, I will be out there looking for underrated or underloved movies to uh, talk to you guys about. But until then, I will talk to you guys later. Thank you for joining us. Goodbye. You're not getting anything from me. You know why? Because I have something more powerful than your psychosis. It's called a volume knob. And the only thing I need to do to make you go away is to turn it counterclockwise. You got that? You copy that? You're no black sheep. You really ought to get that fixed. Get what fixed? Your tail light.